Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, each week we want to have guests or information or topics that are timely, that are encouraging, that are inspiring, that really help you to go to the next level to realize your potential. This week is no exception. A long-term colleague where we met nearly 15 years ago in the professional development field has joined us, and we'll get David to explain his background here in a moment. But welcome to the show, David T.S. Wood. Welcome to the show, David. Wow, thank you, and thank you for everything you do. And I can you believe 15 years? Where did those 15 years pop by? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, where did it go? Where did it go so yeah. quickly? And, and so what I like to do, David, and you, know, you, you are a very successful entrepreneur and built million-dollar businesses and been a consultant for billion-dollar companies, and we'll get into all of that. But what I always like is readers, or my listeners, pardon me, really do appreciate getting to know uh, the guests and some of their journey. And, you, you know, your bio is on your site, and I'll get you to share that in a little bit. But uh, you had a situation happen when you were young, which was identical to mine, where my grade 9 teacher said I wouldn't amount to anything because I couldn't read or write. But you had a teacher say that you wouldn't amount to anything and that you'd probably end up in jail. What what was that about? Well, you know, I was fifteen. I was uh, I wasn't doing very well at school. Uh, I was uh, I would consider myself to be quite angry at the time with everything. I you know I disliked my I was living with my mom and my my brothers and sisters, um, and you know I was anti parents. I was anti school. I was anti everything. But, you know, um, my teacher sat me down. His name was Richard Orsler. He was my history teacher. He sat me down. He says, "Hey, David," he says. You're the worst student I've had in 37 years of teaching, and you're probably going to end up in jail or on the streets. And you know, I was—I got up, and I, you know, I was very polite. <laughs> I told him where to go, <laughs> and I, I walked out of school that day. And I walked out of home. I left home when I was 15. I left school when I was 15, and I just started sort of, you know, going on my own. You know, but everyone I knew back then, you know, everyone I knew in England. I grew up in England. I grew up on a council estate. You know, it was like rows and rows and rows of the same type of housing. You know, everyone I knew was either getting drunk or getting high. It was just the way it was. It was I didn't know a different world. I didn't know a different world existed. But I knew one thing, that when I walked out of school, that I needed to make money. So I started working. I started dabbling in business. Uh, I created a window cleaning company. Then I had a chimney sweeping company. I sound like Oliver Twist, I know. Now, once in a while, my guests have these great gems. David, and so I'm sorry to interrupt your flow, but you, you said you started a window cleaning. Were you 15 or 16 at that time? No, I didn't start my window cleaning company until I was about 17, and I started it out of jealousy because I was, I was living with a girl at the time, and uh, I, one of the kids at school that used to beat me up came around and offered to clean our windows while I was at work, and my, when I got home, my girlfriend told me the story 
uh, and I, here I am working at a job. <laughs> I was getting paid 40 pence an hour. Can you imagine that? 40, 80 cents an hour is what my wages was back then. Right? And I couldn't believe this guy, Kevin Worley, had come to my house and we paid him money. And a lot of money. It was like six, six pounds, which was like crazy money for me. It was like I worked half a day for that. Right? And we right. paid him that to clean all the windows. I thought, well, if that bugger can do it, I'm going to do it. So I started window cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You know, uh, get even with your, uh, your bully friends from there. Great. So then, yeah. so here you're in the UK. You're, you've started sort of these little micro sort of entrepreneurial ventures. What happened next? Well, what really changed my life, right, was I, um, I, I played on a darts team, and we won the league. And the, as part of the celebration, we decided to go to Tunisia for six days on an all-inclusive resort. Really, it was just a great big drunk fest, right? I mean, a bunch of dart players, British pub, you know, whatever. Um, and I, you know, at the end of those six days, I, I'd already been thinking for months and months and months. I started writing poetry, actually. It was kind of weird. But I started to sort of read something in my own poetry that there had to be something else. There had to be something better than what I was living. There had to be something else that existed beyond what I understood to be true because I just knew the world I was in, right? Mm. So I go for these six days. And at the end of it, I had $2,000 left over. And I decided to travel until my money ran out. And I just remember, I went to the airport with these guys, and when they took off, and I was all full of bravado, I turned around. I didn't even know what Tunisia was. I didn't know where it was. For those of you listening that don't have a clue where that is, it's in North Africa. It's a Muslim country. So, so when, I, when I turned around and I, and I looked at the, the country for the first time alone, I was petrified. And I ended up going back to the hotel. I spent a week in that hotel. I blew half my money the first week. And I kept looking at my passport, and I kept thinking, you know, when I get back, I'm going to show everyone where I've been. You know, and I had this one stamp from Tunisia. And that was really, you know, when I, when I ended up leaving that hotel, it took about a year before the fear stopped, a year before that knot in my stomach. You know, I, I went from there. I went over to the Sinai Desert, Egypt. Then I went through Israel. You know, and I started to find myself, and I started to realize that the world was an amazing place. And I started to, I started to imagine that. This is great English. I started to stop being afraid. And, and, and when I stopped being afraid and I started to be curious and fascinated, and I started to really look at the world through a different lens, and I started to realize how beautiful people were, then this kind of whole new experience started to emerge. So I ended up traveling for 10 and a half years, 42 countries. Uh, before I end up coming to Canada, uh, by accident, by the way, and that's where I live today. <laughs> well, of course, both of us know there are not too many accidents, but uh, when you were traveling, how were you earning a living during all those years that you were traveling? Well, I had to work illegally everywhere, so I had this kind of theory, and I still subscribe to that theory today, right? Um, where I would go, because I, I mean, didn't have any papers to work in any country. And every country I did different things. I worked on fishing boats. I worked on you know, diving boats. I worked on, you know, uh, I worked in fish and chip shops. I worked in pubs. I worked as a cleaner in a hotel. I mean, I worked all different types of things, you know. Um, I've looked after land. <laughs> I've worked with cattle. I've worked in banana plantations. I've worked, I mean, really, wow. I can tell you, about, I, I sailed across the Atlantic in a 45-foot boat as crew. Um, but what I'd do is I would go up and I'd sort of knock on the door. I'd have to be personable, so I'd have to build rapport quickly. And that's a new a muscle. And I teach a lot on the art of connection, real mm. connection, but the idea of connecting with people. And then I would offer something. I'd say, listen, you know what? Is there any chance you have any work? 
And I would always try and choose things I wanted to do. I'd always cho- choose places I wanted to live. So it was more, it wasn't just random. I think this is gorgeous. I want to live here or I want to experience something here or I want to work on a ski hill or, you know, if I want to learn how to ski. And I'd just go and knock on doors. And I would always think about the approach would be if I put eight hours in of real hard work looking for work, I always knew that within one day I could have work. And so I had this rule every time I landed in the country, even Canada, I slept on a roof the first night in Victoria, and I wasn't allowed to spend any money until I had a job and somewhere to live. So I had to, I restricted myself from spending anything, and I'd just go and bang on doors, talk to people, then I'd make this offer. I'd say, hey, I will work for free if you can give me some accommodation. Because I had to get these two things sorted out, right? I had to get somewhere to live, I had to get work. And so that would actually give me permission to get both those things done. And people would say, really? Yeah, yeah, we got somewhere. One guy let me sleep on his sailboat, you know, and I worked cleaning his hotel, right? This is this start in Canada. That's how I started in Canada. And then what I'd do is I'd work really, really hard for about two or three days. I'd get people to you know, really in relationship with people. I'd get to know people. You know, I'd be really positive. And I would watch. I was always a good modeler. So I'd watch whoever was best at the job I was doing. I'd watch what they were doing. I'd model exactly what they did. And then I'd make it better. I would always try and go a bit further. I'd work harder. Mm-hmm. I'd, do, I'd just do a little bit more. And after two or three days, I'd say to them, listen, I'm sorry, I've got to leave. And they said, Why? And I say, because I need to make some money. They say, well, we'll pay you. And I say, well, I'm, I'm illegal. I don't even have papers. They say, what do I want? We'll pay you cash. And so I found that that was how I was able to travel around the world. But it was always a similar thing. I had to really connect well. I had to offer something first. You know, and then I had to work my ass off to show people that I was really the real deal. And then I would ask for what I wanted. And I always got it. I mean, I never had one person say, well, I'm sorry, buddy. We're not going to pay you. Off you go. Because I always brought more to the show than they expected. Right? David, isn't that an, an important principle for, you know, just people today where there seems to be this theme of entitlement or this concept of pay me first and then I'll work? Uh, what would you say to people? I mean, we'll get into your depth of experience and training principles of life success, but what about that one? Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, the, uh, people always talk about generational, you know, this generation, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think that we're, uh, I mean, the millennials are an amazing group of people. They, they understand something we didn't. They understand collaboration. But, you know, the world is constantly changing. You know, when people like, older people are always like judging younger people about, you know, their, how they text and how people communicate today. Well, guess what? In the 60s, you know, when Bob Dylan and, or the Beatles and, you know, Elvis Presley, I mean, Elvis Presley was thought of as an antichrist because he wiggled his hips that's how parents they didn't want the parents didn't want their children to listen to elvis presley because he was such a a demon right i mean and so i think through the ages what we got to understand is the world is always moving forward and the way people treat the world is moving forward so young people today they look at how their parents have worked and they look at, you know, the nine to five, you know, the, the 40, 40 plan. They look at, you know, the, the working to retirement. They're saying, well, that didn't work. So they're trying to find a new way. But I do think there is an entitlement with some certain people. But I also see a lot of young people that are deeply passionate and they're looking for different ways to approach life because they're seeing a what they're, 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 they're not seeing really, really happy parents. They're not seeing people who are fulfilled and living passionate lives. They're looking at a lot of people that have sort of resigned to a way of living. And I think there's, there really is a sweet spot. 
So if you ask the question, is there entitlement? Yes, I think there is. I think, you know, as parents, we've helicoptered parents this generation. But then when I look at this generation, when they really wake up, I see them collaborating, communicating globally, and really sort of networking in a different way, just the way they help each other. It's a, it's a different process than what you and I learned. You and I learned was just get out the door, go to work, work hard, get a job, put your nose down, you know, and, and, and you'll get a good retirement. So I think things have changed quite a lot, Ken. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you that yeah, we don't want to paint brushes. And uh, being a father of two millennials, <laughs> 20, 21 and 20, uh, very hardworking kids. And uh, we love them to bits, of course, as parents always do. So, uh, and a lot of their friends, too, really step up. But one, uh, I guess one of the points that you were making for those that are listening is that by putting, bringing forward your best, you get the best back of your opportunities, your environment, the experience. By just bringing not your best is when, you know, and expecting the best back, it's not really an equal equation. Well, I think what there is is the world treats us as we are, and we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. So whatever's going on inside of us is the way the world is. So if you get up, if, you, if you're a kind of person right now, you're listening, and you often think, ah, you know, the, things are tough, and the world is mean, and it's kind of like blah, blah, blah. You have that kind of more of a negative reel in your mind, and you're listening to this kind of constant kind of, you know, things are uh, like that, right? The world's going to treat you in accordance with that because when you show up, you're also going to show up with a low energy, you're going to show up with this kind of like more of a negative stance. And so the world, as you walk through the world, as you, as you meet people, people will respond in accordance to how you show up. But I always say one of my sayings that I've written is like everyone's waiting for somebody else to go first. Everyone's waiting for somebody else to go first. So who's going to be more positive first? Who's going to hug first? Who's going to handshake first? Who's going to say hello first, right? Um, I just started in a new gym, and it's interesting that I've shook hands with every single person that I've met or given a hug to or said hi to every single person in the gym. But most people are just ignoring each other. They're in the gym. Their heads are down. They don't want to talk. I just say hello. They're right there. I'm going to walk by them. I'm going to say hi, right? So I do think the world treats us as we show up, and I think that that's that theory proves to be true all the time, right? So if you're really positive, if you're really, you know, if you really care about people, if you if you you have a brightness about you, the world responds that way. So things seem to go better for you. People go out of their way to help you. You know, the, you, you get that job that no one thought you'd get. You know, the 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 you get a raise. I'll give you another example. This is a great one. You know, I I. I if you go to a, a bathroom in, in a big hotel or if you go into certain countries where they, there's a bathroom attendant, you know, occasionally, and it's happened to me three times, where you walk in and the person is so proud to be a bathroom attendant and the place is spotless and he's got all these different aftershaves and he's bright and he's like, you know, just really there and really mm -hmm. loving what he does. And I'm telling you, you look at his tip jar, it is stuffed full because he is like, guess what? I'm a bathroom attendant, but I'm the best bathroom attendant in the world. I show up for every one of the people that come in here. I'm not looking for tips, but guess what? I get tipped big. And I remember always going into my pocket when someone's really alive like that. And I do put an extra, you know, uh, uh, exceedingly high tip in because to walk into a bathroom and see someone so proud of what they're doing, it really does change them. So here's this guy who's a bathroom attendant who makes probably more money than the guy out, you know, carrying the suitcases or the guy out front, right? And guess what? Everybody has to go where he, where he's working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You talk about a captive audience, man. That that is, uh, and he saw that. And so what you're really talking about is, you know, as many both of us have taught over the years, 
you know, life is a mirror or really this law of attraction where, you know, what you're putting out there, you're also going to get back. But I want, I want to step back. And, of course, David, you are full of information, and so this show could go on forever. But let's just back up a little bit. I, I want to go into this journey where you were able to, as a young person, overcome this fear. And you said it took about a year. What would you say to the listeners? What is it that you did? What was going through your mind, your own self-development to be able to overcome this fear? Because a lot of people out there sort of in the marketplace or individuals who are listening to this, or maybe some anyways, is that they aren't doing certain things because of fear. So how did you overcome it at a young age without really going to, quote-unquote, a seminar? And we'll get into your seminar history here in a bit, but... How did you overcome it, David? What, what did you well, do? Well, mine was by accident. Mine was by accident. And like today, when I help people, because you know, I was in a comfort zone. Let's say everyone has your own comfort zone. And you I think of a dartboard. You've got the circle in the middle. Write CZ in your mind. So draw a circle. Put a CZ your comfort zone. And the comfort zone. If you look at how the brain's wired, I, I'm going to answer how I did it. But I just want to give someone the background of why you don't do it. <laughs> you know. And so what happens is the comfort zone, right? The brain is wired not to make us rich and happy because if the brain was wired to make us rich and happy, we'd all be rich and happy, right? But the truth is we're not wired that way. The brain is wired to keep us safe, to keep us alive. There's that kind of reptilian part of the brain, right? And mm-hmm. something happens when you cross the threshold of your comfort zone. There's a part of the brain called the psycho-cybernetic mechanism. I just call it the psycho. And what happens is every single time we cross the threshold, like, for example, a young guy asking a girl to dance, you know, like that, that walk from, you know, across the dance floor to go and ask mm-hmm. a girl to dance. You know that feeling. Every guy knows that feeling, right? It's 100 miles for sure. <laughs> it's it's fear. You know, there's a heart thumping, right? So every single time we cross the, the, the comfort zone, whether we're jumping out of a plane or whether we're walking across that dance floor or whether we're just saying hello to a stranger sometimes, you know, the, the comfort zone, a lot of us mix it up that it has to be some kind of, you know, great big act. But I'm talking about anything. When we cross or when we move outside of our normal zone of comfort, the psychocybernetic mechanism releases chemicals into the body. And the, this flood of chemicals into the body is interpreted by the body as fear, apprehension, doubt, and uncertainty. So fear, apprehension, doubt, and uncertainty. So here's the thing, right? Uh, and I didn't know this when I was traveling, right? But the idea is that if every single time we cross the comfort zone line, fear, apprehension, doubt, and uncertainty, what do most people do if they feel a little fear, a little apprehension, a little doubt, a little uncertainty? They either freeze or retreat, right? Now, what I did, I was living and I wanted to travel around the world. So every single day, I would be doing things that were outside of my zone of comfort. What I didn't realize was that my comfort zone was, my, my comfort zone was expanding. My phone is ringing, so I'm sorry. I'm just slowing down here. My comfort zone was expanding. Mm-hmm. And, and each time it expanded, you know, I grew bigger. And then the more time I was outside my comfort zone, the more comfortable it became. And so I just became more and more comfortable being uncomfortable. And then when I studied wealthy people, I studied rich people, and I had a lot of very, very wealthy friends and a lot of rich friends. I'd become very wealthy myself, right? But the idea is when I look at those people who are really, really happy and really, really wealthy, you often see a pattern where they are consistently outside their zone of comfort, consistently 
out there. And I call it the, if you do a, a, the dartboard again, you have the circle with the comfort zone. If you do another circle around it, I call it the uncomfortable zone. And then the third circle around it, I call it the unknown zone. And so someone who has a lot of self-trust, like I have immense trust in my abilities, immense trust in my ability to, to handle anything that comes along. <clears throat> I live in the unknown zone a lot. I love the unknown. I love not knowing what's happening. That's why you're good at your job. You don't have all these questions pre-prepared. You didn't say to me, hey, Dave, I'm going to ask you this. You said, hey, I'm organic. I'm just going to ask you questions. So your zone of comfort, your trust in yourself to conduct an interview, where most people, if you ask them to conduct an interview with someone like me, they're going to be thinking about it. They're going to be sweating about it. They're going to be writing out questions. They're going to be uptight. You're just like, Dave, we're just going to talk, right? Because you have this massive zone of comfort around your profession, right, and your ability to communicate. So I would say that what I did accidentally, I didn't know it was happening, was I lived outside my zone of comfort for 10 and a half years, which has made me incredibly resilient. It's maybe there's nothing that can happen. My house can burn down. It's not going to change how I feel today. It's just the event is my house burned down. How I respond to the event <laughs> is up to me. And I know I have that power. And I also know that I can come back. I know that if I lost everything, that I'm going to be fine because I'm just going to make it all back. I, I'm better equipped today to make more money than I've ever been in my life. So again, living outside the comfort zone and consistently putting ourselves outside there, that's where we start to grow. But we have to have the feeling of fear apprehension, doubt, and uncertainty. So it's going to become a constant companion. And so when we start to feel that feeling of fear, apprehension, doubt, and uncertainty, what you're going to say is, hey, I'm about to grow. I'm going to stay in this feeling. And then you stay out there long enough, it dissipates. It goes away until we, 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 we cross the threshold again, and then we're going to feel the same feeling again. <clears throat> well, it's, yeah, and thank you for that, David. I just love it when you were just going there. It's, it's super. I mean, it's so important for everybody listening just about the fact that this is going to happen. You know, people ask me, David, when I go onto a stage to speak, they said, well, you must get nervous. I said, are you kidding? Just never. Like, never. I said, it's not even, the thought doesn't even occur to me. But I've done 3,000 presentations. So when you talk right. about comfort zone, and just about anything that could happen on the stage has probably happened in that, that time frame, just as you had there. So I, I love this, this topic here. We're going to come back to that in a second. But let's just back up a little bit where how did you come to Canada and then how did you get into the personal professional development field, which is really your expertise, and then we'll spend the rest of the show there. Well, I, uh, I left. I was living in America. I had a visa for one year. And I was delivering cars. I worked for a driveway company out of Boston. And so I would deliver cars. I was a professional driver. So I drove all over the United States. And these guys... Morty is uh, the owner of the company. He's this Jewish guy, great guy. And he realized that I didn't spend a lot of money because I would often meet people and stay in their homes or I would hitchhike because I loved hitchhiking at the time. So I would like, come back from these big trips. I would deliver a car from Boston to New York, New York to Texas, and I'd drive up to Portland and I'd come back. I'd be all over the country. But my, my, because I love people, I was always meeting people. So they gave me uh, uh, freedom to travel, they'd say, hey, take an extra five days with the car. So I'd be in this like, brand new BMW convertible driving through some remote part of Idaho or whatever like that, right? And, and so I was living that life. But I got to a point where I was ready. I was hitchhiking actually from, uh, from California. I got picked up by two different weird kind of people. I got picked up by these guys going to the Grateful Dead concert. So I had to climb through the back window of their car. They ended up getting lost. And then, then I got picked up by this guy who was incessantly talking about how many guns he had in the car. And I saw a sign saying Port Angeles Ferry, Canada. I had zero interest to come to Canada. 
And so I said, hey, just drop me here. He said, why am I? Are you sure? I said, yeah, just drop me here. And I jumped the ferry, came to Canada with no plan, zero, zero intention to live here, zero intention to work here. And again, my theory, every time I landed in a new country, I slept on a roof that night in Victoria. And I, I, the next day, I couldn't spend money until I had a job and somewhere to live. And I ended up getting a job in the, the Admiral Motel, which is still owned by the same people, Alan and Jean. It's now called the Admiral Hotel. And I became their cleaner. They let me live on their sailboat. And I got a job in the afternoon on a, on a fish and chip shop called Bob's Fish and Chips. And, and I worked there, and then I, I started to meet people. They ended up working on, on a diving boat on the west coast of Vancouver Island, living out there, and we were diving for sea urchins. It was unbelievable. Suddenly, I'm with orcas and seals. And so the journey started in Canada, and I slowly fell in love with Canada. Um, and you know, and I, it sort of led to, um, to me finding a way to be here, because I was illegal here for three years. And it, I found a way to be legal here and to, to grow a life here, to grow my children here. And again, that, that was kind of the journey. How I got into personal development was interesting. I was a business guy. I was, I was doing quite well, but I was married. My marriage wasn't great. I was a father, but I wasn't a great father. I could hear all the poison that used to come out of my mother's mouth, coming out of my mouth of my young son. He was about six. And my wife asked me, she said, look, you know, would you be interested in going to a personal development event? And I'd never, I mean, I'd been to one thing in my whole life for two days, and I thought I was cured, right? This was, and that was 14 years before. I didn't realize about, you know, investing in myself. And we went to a, a program by T. Harvetta. It was a warrior camp, which was an extreme camp up in the mountains. I just said, yeah, sure, I'll go. Because I wasn't afraid of anything, because I'd been backpacking around the world all my life, and I, saying yes to things was always my thing. My two favorite words are yes and both. So I went, and halfway through the second day, I watched this guy in this room doing this. And they say the three most important days of your life, or most people say the two most important days, I say three, the three most important days of your life are the day you're born, the day you discover why, and then the day you start putting into action that why. And in that moment, when I saw this guy doing what his work was, I knew that's what I was born to do because everything he spoke about, I lived. Everything he was teaching about, I lived. I, I mean, I, I, I lived in the world he, he was trying to get these people to move into. I was saying, I'm perfectly suited to this. So I looked at my wife and I said, hey, I'm going to teach this program. And I dedicated the next year. I mean, I became a volunteer. I chased this guy around the world. And I decided that I was going to become a trainer in that moment. I, and I pursued it really hard. And one day he said to me, he said, you know, you're never going to be on my stage, Dave, because he thought I was too cocky, I had too much ego, right? And I said, listen, Harv, I said, I'm going to be ready. I said, I'm going to practice. I'm going to get ready. And one day you're going to get sick and you're going to need me. Just realize I'm going to be waiting. And I'm still going to follow you around. So I became his assistant, like his training assistant. And one day, lo and behold, he got really sick. And I was given a room of 1,600 people. I'd never trained. <laughs> and I was in New York of all the places, which is kind of loud. And people are a little bit like that. And that's how it started. Wow. And how did that go? How did the first one go? Well, it went actually quite well. I actually got quite sick because there was a lot of stress. Um, but my sales were the same as hard. But I came from a real place. All the stories I told, I had all these stories about my travels. You know, and th there was obviously a flow to the event. So I, I followed his notes. But I had my stories. And also my love of people. I was really deeply connected to people. I love people, all people, even bad people I love. Because I realized that bad people are often bad because of their 
history, their circumstances, you know, what's happened to them. But when I treat bad people in a good way, I often find the good part of them emerges, right? So, you know, the, it went well. My sales were exactly the same as Harv's were. And when Re- Harv realized that I could sell as well as train, he started to say, hey, so I became his number one trainer for three years. And we trained a couple of hundred thousand people a year. It was, and that's where we met, right? Yes, that's where we met. At, uh, in Vancouver, I don't remember which event, but yes, I remember Warrior Camp. <laughs> For sure. The life, life Directions, I thought. Uh, could have been. Life Directions, Train the yeah. Trainer, any one of those. Uh, we did them all. Yeah. So with that, then uh, you got into that space. You were working with Harv. Where, where did you go after that, David? Well, you know, once I realized, you know, because it's interesting to be in this space because, I mean, a lot of my, I belong to the Transformational Leadership Council, which is like some of the top authors and trainers in the world. And the movie The Secret was, was shot there. So Jack Canfield is not only a friend of mine, but he's a business partner of mine now. We own a resort together. Um, but, I mean, you know, the Lisa Nichols of the world, the Mike Dooley's of the world, all these people, Don Miguel Ruiz, probably some of the authors that we all love, right? They all belong to this group. And I, I started to hang out. Uh, with these people, and, and I, I always treat people like people. I don't care how rich they are. I don't care you know, what, what, what their house looks like. I just treat everyone the same, whether they're the janitor or they're the billionaire. I just treat them all the same. And so I went to this group, and I started to look at the world of personal development through their lenses, and I looked at some of them run the business of personal development. But some of them, the rare ones, have really lived the life of personal development. They don't just teach it and sell it. They really live it. And I think that what I realized was I wanted to become or I wanted to have a brand that wasn't just about the business of personal development. It was like if someone was watching me any moment of any day and I didn't know they were watching, they're gonna look, I want them to look at the life or the way I treat people or how I show up. And I've, I've created extreme wealth for myself. I mean, so I've got really wealthy just living a great life and being a great person. And I wanted people to sort of, in the quiet moments when no one's watching, to say, geez, I want a life like that. I want to, so I, I love to help people break through that fear. And in fact, 15 years ago, I wrote a mission statement for myself, actually at one of Harv's programs. And I still have it today. I still use it today. And it's to reach, teach, and inspire people to break through fear, embrace change, and live in their higher selves. And I always ask myself that question. You know, am I, am I continuing to live outside my comfort zone? Am I continuing to embrace change? Am I willing to, to, to stop one thing and start another in a beautiful way? So I don't want to become trapped in this world. I want to experience it in a new way. I'm I, I constantly feeling like I want to I evolve as a human being without feeling like I, I'm under the pressure to evolve, right? So, so that's kind of how I do it. I, I'm very fortunate that I, I get to play in this world. I, I'm, I don't have, I'm not extremely busy, although everyone thinks I am. So, you know, I, I think my, my goal is to help people, but whether they pay me or not, I, I'm, I'm happy to help anyone, but I don't feel like I'm the guru. I feel like I'm just a normal person that, that has a lot of experience and sometimes I can help people, right? Well, thank you for that, David. And, you know, it's interesting as you get into it, there is, there's lots of different individuals within this space. And, you know, your comment is, is relevant to it is that, you know, am I actually doing what I'm teaching? Am I walking what uh, my words are coming out of my mouth so that I'm congruent? But I just want to back up a little bit. 
you've been around a lot now and you've you've seen a lot of these individuals and my purpose is to help others to live lead and work on purpose so they that you talk about why you know we're just say okay you're good if you're going to realize your potential you need to know why you're here what is it in your experience working with hundreds and thousands of people what is holding them back now we said fear but i want to go below that or around that you know beyond that what would your answer be to that in your experience what, what are the main things that are holding people back such a great question it really is a great question um you know the if i look at the majority and i'd say the greater majority of people and and let's let's, let's talk of the western world for now because i think that we have to look differently into you know when we're looking at third world countries um, in fact, I just posted this morning on my Instagram, and if you want to know what that is, it's David T.S. Wood, and the same as my Facebook, David T.S. Wood. Um, but the, I posted this morning about Mexico. You know, these are the most um, um, fulfilled uh, people in the world, right? They, 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 they live these really fulfilled lives, yet, you know, we look at the, sort of the Mexican sort of lifestyle, but they have this amazing focus on family on, on, and on helping each other, right? It's a, a very different culture. But if I look in the Western world and I look at conditioning, so if we go back to environment, we say, look, when a kid grows up and when they start hearing, when does a, when does a kid learn to be fearful? And I, I watch parents every single day projecting fear into their children every single day. And they don't mean to. They want to be great parents. But, you know, we're constantly telling them what's wrong. And if we're not telling them, the media is telling them. If the media is not telling them, the magazines are telling them. So we're kind of constantly bombarded with this, with this, this level of fear. And it's much worse in other countries. I mean, I, I find in the U.S., I work in the U.S. a lot, and I love the United States. But, I mean, there's a lot more fear in the U.S. than there is in Canada. And it's palatable for me when I cross the border from the two countries. So we look at environment you know, leading how, 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 how people really think, you know. So our environment sets up this thought process, you know, and the thought process sets up how we feel. And the feelings that we have set up the, the, the things we're willing to do, the actions we're willing to take, which will ultimately, you know, determine our results. And most people want different results, but what they're not willing to do and what happened to me by accident was I left my environment. All the people I knew that were drunk and high, I accidentally left them. I chose to actually surround myself with a different group of people. For me, in the beginning, it was accidental. Now, it's purposeful. I, 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 I am intentional with who I spend my time with. I'm intentional where I put my energy, right? Now, if, again, I can hang around with someone who's negative. I just won't spend a lot of time with them, and I'm not going to become negative with them. So I know that I can actually impact my environment. So now when I go into an environment, like my mom is still quite a negative human being, right? Mm. And I know that when I'm around my family, my family's energy raises up. I don't get sucked into their dark energy, which I used to. Every time I was around her, I become angry again. It's like a trigger, button push, button push, button push, right? <laughs> now when I'm around my mom and my family, everyone's energy becomes greater, softer, lighter, because it, you know, it only takes one. It only takes one person in that energy, right? So. I think we have to look at the environment we're in and we have to ask ourselves the question, if we're not loving the results that we have currently, if we don't love what's in our bank account or in our bedroom or our level of intimacy or our physical health, all the things, if we look at our life, just the results, the results are immediate feedback from the universe or from God or whatever your beliefs are, right? But they're immediate feedback. They're telling you what's really happening. And the results don't lie. 
Either you have money in the bank or you don't. Either you have freedom or you don't. Either you have a great succulent relationship with someone or you don't. Either you have great sex or you don't, right? So whatever the truth is, if we look at the truth, then we just go back to, okay, let's look at my environment. Let's look at my thought process. Let's look at how I feel on a consistent basis. And then let's, let's look at the actions I'm willing to take to get the real results that I want. Right? And so once we understand this formula, once we understand that we can change the results, but we have to go back to environment and thought. What do I consistently think? How do I feel? And what behaviors, what actions will I take to allow myself to have the kind of results I truly want? And there is no other way. You know, because we look at the people who win the lottery, and the studies are horrendous. You know, it's like 96 or 97% of everyone that wins the lottery is worse off 12 months later than they were when they won the lottery. And if it's not 12 months, it's 24 months. In other words, they become broker because, you know, your, your wealth can only grow to the extent you grow yourself. So I think that, you know, realizing that the greatest investment we can make is in ourselves. You know, we are the number one investment. And if we don't like the results in any part of our life, we just have to go back, take 100% responsibility for it. There's a great saying that says, when I take 100% responsibility for everything in my life and everything not in my life, and that's a big one, not in my life, and there's no money in your life, who do you blame? A lot of people blame outside of their body. Just come back. I take 100% responsibility for my brokenness. All right? So if I'm going to change from being broke to becoming wealthy, what, am I going to, what environment do I want to be around? Well, sometimes you have to divorce your friends. Sometimes you have to divorce your partners. I mean, I'm not an advocate for divorce, but I am an advocate for happiness, right? Sometimes you have to remove yourself from an environment that's toxic and put yourself in an environment that's more positive. And today we can do that in such beautiful ways. I mean, there's podcasts like this. There's podcasts like mine. There's, there, 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 there are ways that we can expand ourselves, whether we live in, you know, Ikiuktuk, but we can, we can normally get exposure to great ways of thinking for free even. So I do believe that that's probably the formula for me. Most people are held back, right? Because they don't realize that they have the power to change everything in their life. We are all, we are all wired to have everything, but we've been taught not to, and we've been conditioned out and conditioned into fear. You know, don't speak to strangers. You know, this whole idea that like neighborhoods. I mean, I could go on for hours on this one. I'll shut up in a second here. But you know, like neighborhoods. You know, <laughs> no, who, David, who, who's no, you to, won't. Who's going to go and tap on the neighbor's door and invite them over for a potluck? You know, when do we stop inviting and having like, like communities? When do we stop talking to each other? When do we start locking the door like five locks, you know, and sitting at home and watching television instead of connecting with, our, with, with the people on our street? That is what's changing. So again, if we want to live an extraordinary life, all we've got to do is just remove ourselves from the environment that's holding us back and start to manage our thoughts, manage our feelings, and the actions we take. Simple. Simple. And still, then you don't take the steps, right? Well, most of us don't look at the results. We blame. I mean, there's three things. If you want to stop, try one exercise for 30 days. If you want homework, don't blame, don't justify, or don't complain for 30 days. Don't blame anyone for anything. Don't justify anything. For example, I still hear the lies in my head before I speak the truth because one of my greatest values is truth, right? But it took me 44 years to tell the truth. I, I think I said this earlier. There was a study that came out recently that said in a normal 10-minute conversation, the average person will tell three lies. So in a normal 10-minute conversation, the average person will tell, tell three lies, right? So this whole idea that most of us are not authentic, we, 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 we wear masks to one group, we wear masks in front of our parents, we wear masks here, there, everywhere, right? And so this whole idea about authenticity and truth, 
you know, but you know, I hear sometimes this, 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 this lie come out of my thought process. Like for example, I was late for a meeting for a, with a billionaire, right? And she's amazing, but I was late for a meeting. Guess why? And I never oversleep, but I overslept. So my, my, my brain started to tell the lie that I should tell her to justify why I was late. And what I say to her, I said, guess what? I overslept. I can't believe it. I overslept, right? My power comes from my absolute truth. So I, instead of justifying, or if I'm late for work and there's traffic, instead of justifying that the traffic, oh my God, the traffic was bad, you're going to say, guess what? I left too late. Because you always know the traffic's bad, right? So uh-huh. the idea of no justifications, no complaining about anything for 30, 60, 90 days. Try 90 days. And don't blame anyone for anything. And try those three things, and you'll hear it. And it's one of the things that have come from that. I've done this for years now, for probably 12 years. Right? So sometimes I will take responsibility for something that isn't even mine. I'll just stop it right there. i say, hey, my bad. Absolutely my bad. And you'll see the people who really know it's not my bad, but who probably should put their hand up, and you'll see this kind of energy shift in them. Because you're like, hey, totally my bad. Don't worry about it. So I take full responsibility for everything in my life, everything not in my life. And I, you know, and I think that's a great exercise for everyone. It is so important, and oddly enough, um I was in a session with Jack Canfield just in December, and those were he used um, blame, complain, and of course 100% responsibility as well. Where you know everybody that's listening here, just listen to what David's saying. And I, I love what you just said there, David. Was take 100% responsibility for what's not in my life as well as what is in my life. And those really could say, well, okay, if I don't have the health that I want, then I'm responsible for that. If I don't have the relationships, I'm responsible for that. So let's go outside of this. If you have more, David, and I know that you do, if you were to give me a roadmap, a sequence or strategy, because one of the things, words you're using, we're also using intentional in my environment. You're coaching me now, so you're coaching the listeners, everybody that's listening. What are, what are your tips that you are going to say to me to, that if I embrace them beyond what you've said so far, that are going to help my success track? Well, I think that one tip I would look at is first, you know, we have to look at different areas of your life differently. Because, you know, for example, um, if, if, if we look at um, the relationship first part of, your, of, of the equation. And I, if we do an assessment of the people that we, there's a great saying that says, you know, we become the sum of the five people we spend the most time with. And again, this does go back to environment a little bit, but it's a different way of looking at it. But I, I notice when I'm around people, whether I feel fuller, I feel more alive, I feel more vibrant, I feel more capable, I feel something that I just feel that being around certain people there's a lift. And I think that what's more important about that equation is what do people feel around you? What do people feel around you? When you're around people, do they feel a lift? And I'm talking about strangers. I'm talking about people you just met. I'm talking about first encounters. Because once we start realizing that we have this incredible power to, to shift everything that happens around us all the time. I mean, I know it sounds a bit woo-woo, but practice it. You practice, because what, what, what should happen is this. People should say to you, you know, I met you once about five years ago, and I never forgot. 
the how great you were that day or how kind you were that day or how special you were that or that mm-hmm. how fun it was that day right and that's why people say to me i feel like i've known you my whole life like strangers will say that i feel like i've known you my whole life and that's the art of active listening the art of real connection but just notice two things so notice a when you're around people that lift you up and notice if the people in your life currently are people that are lifting you up but then notice whether you are lifting them up or whether you have just got back into the sort of the pot with everyone else and most of us are living to the environment that we're in again I don't want to keep talking about environment but I want to sort of talk about this idea about impact if we want to have a real impact if we want to change if we want to change our life right just change how we show up notice notice when people are uh, how we feel around certain people and there's certain people we're around we go holy crap that guy is so cool I just love being around him. you just feel better that's the guy or girl you want to be that's the guy or girl you want to be and that's a practice that's a practice of how do we you know like having the courage again everyone's waiting for someone else to go first having the courage I, I always say I'm a hugger I hug strangers every single day I walk up to people I just hug them and I, I hug the guy that works me out in the gym and he doesn't even like being hugged right but over time I realized that he really likes it he just still pretends he doesn't but he still waits for the hug you know, at, the, at the end of the day right so, so I think really noticing how we show up noticing the people and because what success does leave clues so when you see someone that has the type of impact that you want to have all you've got to do is model them listen to what they say listen to the words they speak you know and language is such an incredible thing you know eradicating the word but for example I, I don't like the word but but seeing what what language we use that has a low energy around it right this is that whole idea about responsibility again but you know managing the words that come out of our mouth you know, you know, gossip. I mean, I know these, I mean, I could go on for hours in different areas, but gossip is a great one. You know, how much time do you spend talking about people? And if you're the kind of person, like when people come to me to gossip, in fact, no one comes to me to gossip because they know exactly what I'm going to say. I say, have you spoken to that person? And they'll say, well, no. Would you like me to help you speak to that person? Because I'm not interested in hearing about it. I mean, I'm not interested in hearing someone talk about someone else in a negative way at all, right? So again, I just think, again, this sort of idea that we can become really aware of, of where success is, where it's around us, what people who are successful, people who have great relationships, how, just model what they do. You know, people who have great businesses, just model what they do. Everyone leaves this track of clues that we can follow. It's not like we have to reinvent the wheel, right? Listen to people that lift people up. What kind of language are they using? You can steal language every single day. You can listen to someone say something, wow, I love what he just said there. Start to utilize that in your own vocabulary, right? So I just believe that, you know, when we become hyper aware that, that around us is all the gems that we possibly need. And they did this interesting study in the, I think it was in the New York Times. And that this is a part of the brain called the RAS, the reticular activating system, mm-hmm. completely different part of the brain. The RAS is what makes us aware of things, right? So if we have consistently negative thoughts in our head, if we're consistently running ourselves down, if we're consistently making, you know, you you get dressed in the morning, you look at your body, and you're like, oh god, I look like crap, or you constantly have that negative voice in the head, which most people do, right? Then, then the RAS, the reticular activating system, is going to make you aware of what you predominantly think. So, if you're constantly thinking negative thoughts, then the world you live in, the RAS is scanning the whole environment around you to make you right. 
and it's going to show you all the different negative things in your environment. That's what you're going to see. Even though right next to it is you know, 50,000 positive things, if you're a negative thinker, you're going to see a negative world. So we have to understand that we have to retrain the RAS. We have to retrain this reticular activating system. And so this study, and this is a great example of the study they did in the New York Times, they ran two identical ads. And it was exactly the same size, exactly the same font, and they were asking for a, a job. So they were advertising a job. The only difference was that one was for $124,000 a year and the other was for $24,000 a year or $42,000 a year. But it was like an you know, $80,000 difference in how much you could earn, right? This is a cra crazy. And you know what? The majority, and we're talking about 83% of people, went and applied for the job that had the lower income. Because their RAS, their reticular activating system, couldn't see the other ads. They weren't even pre-programmed to see $124,000 a year. They didn't think they were worth $124,000 a year. So why would they even notice the, the, notice the newspaper, the ad itself? Why would they call on it? So they're programmed to live in a world of $40,000 a year. That's what they see. And that's the really power of it. So when we start to reprogram ourselves with positive thinking, this isn't like woo-woo stuff. This is just fact, right? This is scientific that there's these neural pathways in the brain and most of us have neural pathways of limitations, negative thoughts, negative beliefs that have been given to us by our environment and our parents and our grandparents and everyone else, our school teachers. And we, once we start to reprogram our brain, we can have great big superhighways of positive thinking, which means we're going to see the positive things. We're going to see the positive, uh, the possibilities. We're going to see things that other, other people can't see. We're going to see opportunities. We're going to start attracting great people into our life. And we're going to start leading a great life. But we have to understand that this brain of ours is not programmed yet. We have to program it, so we have to work at it every single day. Well, your word, David, and <laughs> guess what? You're, you don't seem to be passionate today. What's going on there? I know. I suck, <laughs> eh? <laughs> oh, man, if we tapped into you today, you're just rocking it, my friend. So when we think about this, and thank you for all that, is, uh, well, then, I, of course, I lost my thought because I was being, oh, here I got it, is there was a research done by Martin Singelman. Now, you know, he wrote the book Learned Optimism. And so his group did some research and what were some activities that caused people to have well-being, right, internally in their soul. And one of those items, which is what you're just talking about here, was thankfulness and appreciation of what you already have. So it was one of the top three items that people can do is that what are you thankful for to be able to kind of change it. The other thing, if I could summarize, is that everybody listening here is that your environment matters. You know, who you're hanging out with, where you're going, what you're listening to. You know, I wrote an article before, input equals output. So what is occurring there? Now, it's interesting, David. You have developed some disciplines that many of us have not, and that was, you know what? If that person is being negative or that person's gossiping, I'm sorry, I'm not participating. I am not playing in your pond. I am going to put margins, boundaries, barriers around that to say, I need to kind of protect my environment. Like you said, I don't spend a lot of time with negative people. doesn't mean that you don't spend time with them, but you control it. You, you manage it so that it isn't going to be draining for you. Well, you know, we're getting close. You've got so much stuff. David, uh, I'm going to ask you a few more questions, but if people want to find out about what you do, where you're at, what you're doing, where could they find out about you? 
Well, if you want to listen to my show, there's, uh, I, I'm not recording currently, but I think I have about 400, maybe just under 400 shows. Um, and I've interviewed everyone. It's like Ken's show here. I mean, it's a, a, a really good stuff. You know, Tim Ferriss and, you know, I mean, people like that. Really interesting mind. But it's thekickasslife.com, thekickasslife.com. And then if you want to find me on Facebook, it's David T.S. Wood, T as in Thomas, S as in Scott, David T.S. Wood, or Instagram, David T.S. Wood. Again, I'm not like uh, I, I do post. Um, I'm, we, we will be coming out with a lot of the new things coming in the year, but you know, again, I think that um, you know I, that that's probably the easiest way. If you want to sort of come play, then come play. I don't sell a lot of things. You know, I I I I I, I really attempt to to again walk that talk. And like Ken, I mean, I, I really respect that about you, Ken, as well. I think it's a it really is that thing where you know, people are watching in those quiet moments where, you know, no one thinks you're watching, right? That you can mm-hmm. see the congruency. And I think congruency is a really, it's such a powerful force, right? The congruency that our inside matches our outside, the inside thoughts match the outside actions, right? So which, that, and again, that's where our power lies. So. Well, absolutely. And I think I was mentioning another show to people who are listening where, you know, when, when I decided to be a speaker with my own voice, try, rather than trying to be somebody else, that's when it became powerful. Because that, and that's, that's where everybody that's why, that's why That's why you, that's, sorry, interrupting. That's why you don't have to write notes. That's why, you, that's why you use the word organic, because this is coming from a congruent well. And that's why I know, you know, that's what, and that's why I love, I mean, I, I do a lot of shows, right? And I love it when I don't get sent pre, pre how do people know what to ask me if they've never really talked to me before? You know, because until you start talking, right, where does the question, the question comes from the moment of curiosity. And that's why, you know, this is a great interview, because, again, you're sort of leading me through and taking me back to things that are important, which is, again, that's the organic process of a great show. So, you know, again, great job, by the way. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, as we give each other accolades. David, I know you're so busy and you have lots going on your plate. And I do appreciate you uh, spending some time with us. You know, if you were to really give our listeners just some final encouragements, David, what would that be for them today? Well, first of all, you know, yes, you can. (laughs) Uh, You know, it doesn't matter where you started. It doesn't matter what your personality is like. It doesn't matter your self-confidence level. It doesn't matter what's happened to you, whether you've gone through hardship or you know, I mean, I grew up in a in a pretty hard place by Western standards, and you know, I mean, being thrashed and beaten. I mean, it was like we we grew up in a pretty psychotic place, right? But it doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter what background you have. It doesn't matter your education level. Nothing matters. What matters is what you decide to do from this call today. If you want to change everything about your life, your health, your intimacy, your relationships, your bank account, right? every single thing about your life can change. But you just have to make a choice. You have to say, yeah, I want that. And then, of course, you know, then you follow people that have done that in a way, and you consistently, consistently, and, and be really kind to yourself. But number one, you, you say what stops most people. We stop ourselves. You know, it's that little space between our ears that stops us. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, believing you can or believing you can't, you know, I mean, that's the old adage, right? Yeah, you're right. If you just believe you can't do it, you won't do it. But I think that being super kind, learning how to fall in love with our own imperfection, because I realize that what connects me to Ken is not our perfection. It's not what we do well. It's what we do poorly. It's the struggles that we've had. It's the times, you know, I've fallen off the stage. It's the times when we were scared. And he's not scared anymore. 
But there was a moment in time where he wouldn't be as comfortable today doing what he's doing, right? So I always think it's our imperfection that connects us as, as a human race. It's, and, but we're all trying so hard to be perfect, and we're all wearing these masks to show up. And I think, you know, hiding our authenticity, hiding our real truth is really it, it's such a shame. Because when we step into a world of authenticity, when we and authenticity is this idea of transparency. You know, you should be able to look right through a person. There's nothing hidden in the closet. And it doesn't matter what you've done. You may have been to jail. You may have done really bad things. I've done a lot of bad things. I have been to jail, right? I've been, you know, I've been, I've been handcuffed more times than I can remember. But the, the, the idea, though, that what, who I was then and who I am today is completely different. How I see the world. I wouldn't go back and change those things. I wouldn't go back and ask for, a, a, you know, a home life that was reasonable or normal or loving. And I, I mean, I wouldn't go back and wish that I hadn't been, you know, caught and, and put in jail. I mean, I wouldn't go back and wish I hadn't stolen cars and, and shoplifted. I was, all those things I did have, have, have been a part of the tapestry of my life. But once I started working on myself, that gives me a point of reference. You know, I, I, I wouldn't, I mean, I was physically abused, sexually abused. I can go through the whole thing if you want. But none of those things matter. What matters today is what I want to do starting now. What is the life that I'm committed to create starting now? And, you know, there are moments of decision. And I would say that when you listen to a show like this, possibly some of you are really busy. Some of you may have already, like, you know, turned this off once because you're on your way to work and you're listening to it on the way home. It's maybe pull over or stand still for a moment and just decide what is the life I want to create? And am I ready to choose to create it today? And if you are, then there are steps to follow. And the one thing, again, is going back into your mind and noticing how many times you're saying positive things about yourself versus negative things. And start there. Start with the self-talk. Start with how you can start to fall in love with your, with your own humanity, with your own mistakes. And then you can take, start, t- start taking bigger and bigger strides into the world to have everything you want. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Um, I mean, as, for those of you that are listening... Uh, well, first of all, David, you know, thanks for spending time with us uh, today. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, our encouragement is, David's encouragement to you is that your life matters, that you can make a difference, but you also, more importantly, can make a shift. Uh, but it takes <clears throat> this famous word that uh, is my word and David's word, it takes intentionality. It takes a choice. This very moment, as you're listening, to be able to kind of shift into an environment or a place of growth for you. All of us still have stuff to grow. David and I are not done. We still have stuff on our list. You can just ask my family, you know what, that's not perfect. But it's in those moments that we can get better. You know, uh, I thank you for being a listener of Secrets of Success. And if you like what you've been listening to, if you appreciate the content that's here, just please share, pass it on, let other people know about it so that we can expand and make an impact and make a difference in people's lives. Thank you for listening to Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keith. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.